0: Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It is BetQLU, BetQL's first ever college basketball Betting Podcast, myself, Eli Herskovich, Thomas Casali, along for the ride here for the next 30 minutes or so talking college basketball with you. A quick note about Texas Baylor in the next few minutes, and then we'll dive into Wednesday, Thursday games, maybe a Friday game if Thomas or myself has a bet on that, and then we'll talk some college basketball title features to wrap up the podcast. You can follow Thomas Casali on Twitter at the Casali. What's going on, man? Not too much.
1: Uh, getting ready to get into these games. How you doing?
0: doing good so I want to let the listeners know how much how much Captain Morgan you consumed on Saturday after Texas Tech backdoored at LSU covering the minus three and a half after they were down by seven with about a minute left
1: that was uh, so I don't really get emotional over bets because it's one game that's about as emotional as I've been and I, I can't even remember it's uh, it was the first bet we gave out on the show and uh, to be honest with you, I didn't even see the ending because they were down seven points and I went to hit the heavy bag. I was so <laughs> upset I had to go, to, to go get off some steam and I get a, I get a, a Twitter uh, alert from somebody who has uh, Texas Tech with the fire. And then I go to the go to the score app, and I don't want to get on the score because I used to work there. But their their scores have been off a little bit lately. And I saw the final, and I'm like, that's got to be wrong. So I texted you, and you're like, no, they covered. <laughs> so that's uh, that was one for the ages. Uh, hopefully, they all won't be that stressful moving forward.
0: Yeah, we have some good bets for you over the next few days, couple days, including one spot that Thomas and I both love coming up on Wednesday night's college basketball card. But man. Let's start off with the Tuesday night, the the blockbuster, the game of the night on Tuesday, maybe the game of the week in college basketball. Texas going up against Baylor, the Longhorns at home. They're getting five and a half points. Texas getting five and a half points, so Baylor laying the minus five and a half. Texas plus 200 on the money line and a total of 144 and a half. I have a bet on this one, Thomas. I'm taking the Longhorns. So you think about how much Baylor relies on threes, and that's not really as as Talked about as it should be. Baylor with the 47th highest three point scoring rate in college basketball, and Texas giving up the uh, bottom 30 uh, three point scoring rate defensively. So Texas matchups matches up really well against this Baylor backcourt. And size wise, too, Texas has a size advantage in this game, top 70 offensive rebounding rate. Baylor really struggles on the defensive glass. I know Baylor a really solid offensive rebounding team overall this season, but then when you look in conference play, Baylor does have the highest offensive rebounding rate in Big 12 play, but Texas has the highest defensive rebounding rate. So, again, this Texas length, getting back uh, getting back Sims for this game, Jericho Sims, one of the best bigs, and also getting back Courtney Ramey. They both missed the Oklahoma game last week in the loss. Texas coming off two losses in their last three games. I really like the Longhorns tonight to potentially win this one outright, but I'll be taking the points.
1: Yeah, you know I like Texas in general. They're one of the teams I think that can make a serious run this March. Um, I, the layoffs bother me a little bit, especially against a team like Baylor that pressures you so much on the ball. Yeah, I don't. I would prefer the Texas first half number. To be honest with you, I'm afraid that in the second half Baylor wears them down and they might end up covering this number late. But if I was going to bet the game overall, I would take Texas. I, I think they match up well, like you said. This is one of those I wish both teams were coming in. You know full strength without any layoffs we can't do anything about that but I think the point you made though is the right point if if you look at where there where could Texas have an advantage right and it's the offensive rebounding like you said that's one area where Baylor isn't great is you know on the defensive rebounding so to me if Texas wins the game that's where it's going to be won right there
0: no doubt about that I I brought this up on that QL daily one of our sports betting shows, uh, a part of the BackQL Audio Network. Texas is plus sixteen hundred, so sixteen to one to win the national title. Baylor plus four hundred. If you had to make a bet going into this game, which one would you take?
1: I would take Texas based purely on value. Um, You know, we're going to talk a little bit about futures. This is a tough year because when there's one really good team, I don't get too concerned with the randomness of the tournament. But there's two very good teams with the Zags and Baylor. I, I just feel one of them is going to be cutting the nets down. So that's why, plus the COVID issues is why I haven't gone heavy into the futures market. But I still think there's value on Texas. I mean, you and I talk about this team all the time. There's a lot of good things to like about Texas. I listen, I don't want you to lose your bet, but I wouldn't mind if they got blown out. Maybe we get some more value in the futures market. That's the team I got a little bit. Of, I'm waiting to get a little bit more on them probably before the tournament starts because outside of the big three or four, that's the one I think that can win it all in March.
0: Dude, I'm still kicking myself. Texas was 50 to one to win the title going back to the offseason. I, I I had Boise State at 500 to one, 300 to one. at a, a different book too. Alabama, 80, 90 to one, respectively. And then Texas sitting there at fifty to one and I didn't want to add it. The Shaka Smart factor scared me off a little bit. But this team is is so athletic, so lengthy, they brought everybody back. And the biggest factor to me right now is I know everyone talks about again their backcourt with Matt Coleman and Courtney Ramey, but Greg Brown, the freshman, he has improved his handle a lot, and he still sometimes gets himself in bad spots where he travels off the dribble. But his dribble has improved overall, and he can really create for himself, which is a whole other dynamic for this team uh, when Texas uh, hits the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, and our you know our man uh, Tyler Morales had him in our in our preseason pod. He he had Texas fifty to one. I should have listened to him instead. I was too busy making fun of his UConn pick. So you know that was a good call by him on Texas. And of course, you have Alabama going so. You know we got a couple of nice futures rolling here,
0: no doubt about it. So that's our quick breakdown of Baylor Texas and a little long term perspective too on the Texas Longhorns. And by the way, I'm with you, Tom. I would take the Longhorn sixteen to one over the Baylor Bears. Just more value when you're talking about variance. Come the NCAA tournament, which we'll get into later on when we talk about more of a deep dive into these college basketball title futures. So uh, we're going to look into the rest of the card for throughout the remainder of the week. Starting off with Wednesday and the spot. I don't want to say the spot of the year, but I'm all over it. You I, you brought up your bet. I asked you, what, what are you looking at for Wednesday's card? And you brought this game up. And I was like, well, yeah, we're probably going to put a, a combined maybe three grand on this game come tomorrow night. Because Vitek is laying four at Pitts. So, Tom, lay it down for us here. Why do you like the Pitt Panthers? And I guess I just gave it away. But either way, go ahead.
1: Yeah, the thing is, you know, I was looking over the cards. And this was the game that really stuck out to me. And I said to myself, I'm 98% sure you're going to be on this game too. I guess we spend too much time talking about college basketball because now I know exactly what you're betting. But, um, <laughs> the, you know for those that people that don't know me, I'm a big spot better. Uh, so I'm looking for the spot to take the team, right? But What a great spot to buy Pitt low, right? Three coming off three losses. Virginia Tech just beat Virginia. They're going on the road to Pitt. So to me, Pitt is a younger team and th- they're going to have some ups and downs throughout the season. So they've been struggling here a little bit, but I still like the talent on this team. I, I think they can still make a run and get into the NCAA tournament. I I like them a lot Wednesday night. I think they win this game kind of easily.
0: So you like them to win this game outright? Oh, yeah.
1: You know me. Uh, plus four in the money line, whatever you got.
0: All right. Uh, I'm with you. I, I love Pitt in this spot. So let's kind of break it down from a bunch of situational angles here. Virginia Tech coming off the big win over Virginia, dominant in the second half. Keve Aluma was put up uh, massive numbers, 29 points, eight rebounds in that game. So you expect a little bit of a letdown coming off that sort of a win. Virginia Tech, two straight wins overall. Notre Dame, they beat pretty handily early last week. Pitt coming off three straight losses, like Thomas mentioned, struggling to buy a low point in the season for the Panthers. A 26-point loss to Notre Dame over the weekend. So the Irish get smacked around pretty good against Vatek, and then they come back and they smack Pitt right in the face with a 26-point win. My key to this game and for Pitt's ability to exploit Vatek in transition because from a rebounding standpoint, I think Pitt has a size advantage, and if if Pitt can get out in transition and get to the free throw line, Virginia Tech's uh, transition defense is pretty poor, especially in conference play. Uh, They're giving up the third-highest free throw rate, uh, scoring rate for the free throw line in ACC play, and Pitt with the highest uh, scoring right from the free throw line in conference play. So this is a pit team that, yes, it kind of shows their flaws because of how much they rely on scoring from the free throw line. But you think about guys that can get there like Xavier Johnson, like Champagne, but more so Johnson and Tony, one of their other wings and guards. So I like Pitt to bounce back here coming off of three straight dreadful losses. The, the Wake Forest one a few games ago by one. North Carolina by 10 on at home, actually, where it seems like UNC is starting to pick it back up. And then the Irish, again, 26-point loss to Notre Dame over the weekend.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And other other than the spot, you know, Ken Palm has a lot of different things, and you shouldn't use just one of them to make picks, obviously. But something I like to look at, and you pointed out, um, you were right on that Georgia Tech-Florida State game about how Georgia Tech would create turnovers against them. That's one of the things I like to really look at is turnover percentage and steal percentage, because if there's a big variance there, that could lead to something like we saw Saturday with an upset of Georgia Tech. So one of the things you look at in this game, Pitt can struggle sometimes with turnovers, but Virginia Tech doesn't really create many turnovers. I mean, they're 309th in the country in steals. So I think Pitt's been playing a little sloppy offensively, but they got the right opponent to kind of fix that, and like you said, I like their size advantage down low, and if they can get that transition game going, get some easy buckets. Again, I like Pitt in the outright upset.
0: No, that's a really good point, man. Like, how, how teams match up, and that seems kind of basic, but just in terms of if your weakness is going to get exploited, and bottech doesn't create a lot of turnovers. So uh, I think we're both on a pit pretty handily come tomorrow night. What about another game that I'm looking at, man? It's it's Missouri going up against Kentucky at home. Missouri a little bit lucky in overtime, beaten TCU by four. TCU was leading down to the stretch in the second half. It Kempon makes this game about four, so we'll see what the line opens up at. I'm assuming it's going to close around four, four and a half, or at least we're going to get a pretty good number because I like Kentucky in this spot against Missouri. So I mentioned a little bit of a letdown, especially in overtime for Missouri, the way they've been playing. I know they were coming off the Auburn loss, so it was kind of a bounce back, but Pitt, uh, Missouri was overvalued in that game, uh, being favored by 10, 10 and a half against TCU. But, uh, Kentucky has a size advantage in this one against Missouri, and they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in college basketball, let alone an SEC play. And I'd, I know Missouri's been solid on the defensive glass in conference play, but uh, Kentucky has a size advantage in this game with Isaiah Jackson and Olivier Saar. So if Kentucky can get second-chance opportunities, get to the free-throw line, I mentioned opponents' free-throw rate and scoring rate from the free-throw line. Uh, Missouri's given up the highest um, opponent scoring rate from the free-throw line in conference play. So if Kentucky's, again, able to dominate the offensive glass, which I think they'll be able to, and, and therefore control the tempo in this game, not allow Missouri to get out and run, which they want to do from time to time, I think Kentucky covers this number at around plus four.
1: Yeah, I don't have a pick in this game. You did mention Missouri about being overvalued. I think they went from being undervalued to overvalued in, in the market really quick. Yeah, and uh you know, the they had the fast start there, so there there was a chance to bet them at good numbers and now that's that's obviously gone. But one thing I will say is We'll have to see what Kentucky can do shooting the basketball because Missouri has has a way to kind of suffocate you if you're struggling from the field. So they're going to have to be on early in this game or it could be a long night. It's interesting. Well, I don't really have a strong play on this. Uh, I I don't mind taking the points here because I do think Missouri is starting to become a little overvalued. Uh, Kentucky playing a little bit better lately. You know, they they were in that game against Alabama. Yeah, so... The, this is going to be an interesting game because you're looking at those teams, you know, like Kentucky, like UNC, uh, teams that's big names that started slowly. Will they ever, will they get rolling here? You know, it might be too late for Kentucky, but this would be a big win. And if they win here, I think Saturday against Tennessee becomes a very, very interesting matchup.
0: And Tennessee takes on Ole Miss tonight on Tuesday. So that's another intriguing matchup in SEC play. One other point I want to bring up, you brought up the Alabama game Kentucky does have a week off in between these games. And Missouri coming off a hard-fought overtime win uh, against TCU. Kentucky pissed off after that loss to Alabama where they were leading the second half and have literally a week, had it literally a week to prep for this game. So I like the Wildcats. Um, from, from that point alone, and along with the other stuff I was bringing up with their size advantage and being able to create second chance opportunities to get to the free throw line. So another game I'm looking at, too, the third game on the card that intrigues me, I don't know if I'm going to have a bet on it yet because I'm curious what the line is going to open up at. Villanova at St. John's. Kemba makes this line Villanova minus nine uh, at the Johnnies. St. John's is coming off four straight wins, a hard-fought win against Marquette. We're up by 15 at the end of the first half, win that game by just a possession. But the, the backcourt for St. John's is the key, man. Like, not only Champagny, he had a big bounce-back game against Marquette after struggling in their first matchup between St. John's and the Golden Eagles. But Posh Alexander is becoming one of my favorite players in college basketball. Had some big swipes, especially in the second half. Stole the ball away from DJ Carton to kind of put that game away in the, in the final couple minutes against Marquette. I, I think... St. John's guards, besides um, what St. John's can do offensively against Villanova, I think the Johnny's guards are going to give this Villanova team problems. I know they're really experienced, but going up against two elite defensive guards in Pasha Alexander, and it's crazy to call them elite, but at least in terms of creating turnovers, he's he's uh, created that stature for himself. And Rasheem Dunn, too. So I want to get your perspective um, from the standpoint of Villanova's offense against St. John's defense. Because although Villanova can get their fair share of three-point looks against the St. John's defense, I think the ball pressure is going to create some problems for Jay Wright.
1: Yeah, that's what's going to have to happen for them to St. John's defense in trans uh, are in the half court set isn't very good. So, if it gets into that kind of game, I give a big advantage to Villanova. But your point about St. John's, you know, not only have they won four in a row, but they've won five of six and their one loss was a two-point defeat to Marquette. So, they've been playing well now for about a month. And uh, this is a tough one for me because we went against Villanova on Saturday and came up a little short there with see Can't Hall. do it again? <laughs> the, when, when, well, the thing about that game is, is like, you know, I know we texted back and forth and you said, boy, Villanova played nearly perfect in the first half. When they're on, they're so hard to beat. The, they got so many different ways to beat you. So I'm not going to bet this, but I can understand where you're coming from with St. John's playing well and the ball pressure on the guards. that That's what's going to have to happen. If St. John's wins, they got to get it into their style of game. If Villanova gets it in the half court, St. John's is done in my opinion.
0: No doubt, and Greg Williams' status is also one to, to monitor for this game. He, he missed the Marquette game um, over the weekend for, for St. John's. He's a, an experienced guard, kind of inconsistent overall this season, but can still space the floor and can handle the ball. So that's another uh, uh, key to watch for for St. John's. It's not an official bet for me. I mean, we can't even bet the game as of, as of now when we're recording this podcast on, on Tuesday afternoon, but definitely worth our look, And we'll see the way the market moves um, into Tuesday night and then into Wednesday morning for St. John's. But so far my plays are um, Pitts, Kentucky, two gross, gross teams to back. But at least Thomas backing me on, on Pittsburgh against Tech. And then potentially a look for St. John's. That's That would be a gross Wednesday card just overall. Pitts, Kentucky, and St. John's.
1: Yeah, the, you're going to have to start betting favorites pretty soon. That's getting under <laughs> Yeah, you know I like my dog. So for getting over a possession
0: with those three teams, I'll take it. Uh, but one more thing I want to mention with this St. John's team is, I mentioned how Villanova is going to be able to get their fair share three point opportunities. Villanova's three-point defense, that's how you exploit them. And, and Seton Hall, to your point, you brought that up over the weekend. Seton Hall can't really stretch the floor as well as they did last year because of just how good Miles Powell was, and they were more consistent for beyond the arc last year. But if St. John's is on from three, a top four three-point percentage in conference play, Villanova's bottom two in the, in the conference in three-point defense. So if St. John's can control the pace, like you mentioned, their transition defense, is so good and maybe turn up Villanova over, over a little bit. I know the Wildcats had the lowest turnover percentage in Big East play, but they haven't faced a, uh, a team like this defensively in terms of St. John's backcourt. So it's worth a look for St. John's at least. Don't know if I'm going to play it just yet.
1: Yeah, and here's some advice. Maybe stop betting against Baylor and Villanova all the time. Maybe you
0: can go fuck yourself. <laughs> On to the Thursday card, as I take it back before Tom decides to punch me in the face instead of punching his own punching bag. Uh, Colorado, man, is is a spot I'm looking at against Arizona State on Thursday. The Buffs are probably going to be favored by nine. So I like the Sun Devils getting nine points. Yes, another dog from Eli take a shot, but uh, I I like Arizona State. I think they're playing better ball of late, and I think we're going to get an inflated line with the Buffs. Now, I know Colorado's coming off that. I mean, they were up by 19 in the second half against Utah. They lose that game by three outright. So when you think about Colorado's offense and how much they rely on their three-point shooting, doesn't really match up that well against Arizona's perimeter defense. ASU is a top three perimeter defense in, uh, in Pac-12 play. And then on top of that, Colorado's uh, interior defense is exploitable. And the way Remy Martin is playing right now, he looked the best I've seen all season against Stanford over the weekend. If Christopher and Bagley are looking to go inside out off the dribble drive, and you know that's what you're going to get with Remy Martin, I think ASU's turned a corner, and I think they cover this game against Colorado on Thursday, keep it within a few possessions.
1: Yeah, I know you you mentioned to me a, a while back about ASU to keep an eye on them, and they've won two straight. They, they seem to be hitting their stride here. The One of the things I do is... In college basketball, I like to focus on a couple conferences where I'm I'm really strong. I just do not have a good feel for the Pac-12 this year. So I haven't bet many Pac-12 games. You know, one of the things is you're going to have to watch out for is sometimes Arizona State really struggles rebounding the ball. You know, they're one of the worst in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. Colorado does rebound the ball well. So again, if they're not hitting their shots, it could be a long night. But I do agree nine points is a little steep here.
0: Right, and it's a good point though with rebounding. ASU is the worst offensive rebounding rate in in uh, in Pac-12 play, and the second worst defensive rebounding rate. So if they're right, if they're not in shots, if they're not efficient offensively scoring inside, I mentioned Colorado's interior defense, the fourth highest two point scoring rate given up in conference play. ASU with the third highest offensively. So it's a good matchup for ASU, I think, offensively. Bad matchup for Colorado's offense, how much they want to shoot the three ball, and what ASU could do defensively. But I, I think uh, I think ASU can keep this within a few possessions. So those are my looks for Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Tom, anything you want to add for Thursday and Friday? You want to move on to futures?
1: The, well, one game I'm looking at is Iowa and Ohio State. But Iowa plays Michigan State tonight. I would prefer they blow them out so that people can get back to thinking that they're, you know, they're great. When I can exploit the frauds that they are, um, so I've been I'm four and zero in Iowa games this year. Won all four easily. So I've been picking my spots with this team, and I think we have a spot Thursday with Ohio State. I love the matchup here. If Ohio State's getting four or more, I think they're going to dominate inside. And again, you're looking at Ohio state team it's one of the best in the country at not turning the ball over and iowa defense it's one of the worst in the country and creating turnovers and steals so with with the side with the inside rebounding edge they have and not turning the ball over i like this spot ohio state to me is a better team than iowa so i'm hoping for an iowa blowout over michigan state and then take ohio state thursday at iowa
0: I like it, and we'll see what happens tonight. So if if Iowa does not blow out Michigan State and keeps it, maybe Michigan State covers, keeps it within a few possessions. Are you staying away, or what? What kind of what are you looking at from that perspective? If it happens, yeah,
1: I might still hit Ohio State. I would like to have at least four points in this game. Um, even though I think Ohio State's the better team, like I said, the if Iowa were to lose outright to Michigan State, that would probably take the bet off for me. Uh, so you know, it's it's one of those things. Again, I'm more of a spot better. So I'm looking to hit uh, either hit these teams or against these teams when I think the time is right. Uh, so it's interesting, though, because the Iowa-Michigan State game, the line has gone quite a bit towards Michigan State. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Michigan State's just not a very good basketball team right
0: now, though. To your point, like sharp money came out on Michigan State uh, at Ohio State. And Ohio State blew him out of the water. So it's it's more or less, I think, just sharp batters looking for a bounce back opportunity for the Spartans where I don't know if you're going to get it this is your third straight road game we don't need to dive into it too much my point is I have no idea how to read Michigan State right now I have no idea how to read Ohio State either and maybe they are better than Iowa but it's a tough team to gauge because they could have lost to Penn State I like them a hell of a lot better than I did when they had Caleb Wesson that guy was one of the most inept college basketball (laughs) players of all time just so stupid but I, I like E.J. Liddell a lot. Dwayne Washington, I think, has improved his shot selection this season. And when Justice Ewing and uh, and Seth Towns – I mean, Seth Towns has been hurt pretty much all year uh, The transfer from the Ivy League. But this team has a lot of depth. And, you know, we talk about guys like Nate Oates and Chris Beard, two of the better young coaches in college basketball. Chris Holtman is, is up there as well. I mean, maybe not touching Chris Beard. Maybe still behind Nate Oats the way Alabama is playing basketball, but he is a he's a damn good head coach, man.
1: Yeah, and the thing about Iowa is, is listen, I like to take spots where. I think the better team is playing them, and they're catching points. So Iowa's like a hundredth in defensive efficiency. They don't tur- they don't turn people over. They can get beat up on the boards by tougher teams. So listen, if Iowa's doing one of their games where they're hitting seventy percent from three, then you go home. I mean, they beat you. But in terms of matchup wise, I think Ohio State is a team that can exploit them.
0: Yeah, and just defensively too for this game for the Buckeyes. Uh, in terms of conference play, and this is probably the time you should start looking at conference metrics, and you could look check it overall, of course, as well. But we're deeper into conference play now. Iowa with the fourth highest three point scoring rate in Big Ten play, and Ohio State with a what a top three, top two, um, three point scoring rate from a or three point defense from a scoring rate perspective. So I think this is a really good matchup for the Buckeyes defensively as well.
1: Yeah, so we'll see what happens, but uh, I'll most likely be on Ohio State plus the points.
0: All right, I might tag along there. Uh, Good breakdown from Tom on the Buckeyes and the Hawkeyes. All right, let's dive in. Let's shift over from uh, spots for the rest of the week, Tom, and let's get into our title futures pool. So want to introduce this concept to the to the audience, and it's not like some extreme uh, concept that when we're talking about college basketball title futures, but we're looking at three longer shots uh, because, and I know you want to get to this point here, Thomas, when we think about odds and, and on the lower tier side of things, uh, from the standpoint of challenging Gonzaga and Baylor, is it worth it to you to grab uh, a team that's a little lower on the odds board when you're going to need variance and you're going to need value too to really have the explanation to bet a college basketball future right now with the way Gonzaga and Baylor are rolling?
1: Yeah, that's it, you know, to me. Like I usually have quite a few college basketball futures at this point. And again, because of the circumstances, I, I haven't done that. And I think last year's, canceling of the tournament also plays into this you know maybe Baylor doesn't have all those guys if they go to the tournament last year so they you know they bring a lot of guys back to me that makes it tough to beat them you know the zag same thing a lot of depth I just don't know if this is the year we're going to get one of those back of the pack teams but I mean who knows they get to the elite eight the final four then you can start hedging out and locking in some money if you want
0: yeah just looking at one team though and I know we both have a future on them Like a team with high variance, right? Because that's what you're going to need to be Gonzaga or Baylor. Just uh, chuck up a ton of threes, do the exact same thing that that Baylor or at least Gonzaga is trying to do, which is push the tempo, get a ton of shots up, get a ton of possessions to keep pace because Gonzaga is going to score a ton of points. And if Baylor's rolling offensively, I I know they're thought of as a defensive team, but that's still an elite offensive team with Butler, Mitchell, and Teague. Alabama has the ninth highest adjusted tempo in college basketball and the 11th highest scoring rate overall from beyond the arc. So if the Tide make a run as a number two seed in the NCAA tournament, which is where they're projected at from Joe Lunardi, that's a team where you're talking about a high variance um, kind of roster that could challenge a Baylor or a Gonzaga if they're on from three. Now, of course, that's an if, but the if tags along with variance. So I think Alabama, like among those teams that could make a run, Bill Novak, you're not getting any value at them at around nine to one at this point or seven to one, depending on where they're sitting at, at at your sports book. That's also why it's really important to shop around. But that specific word variance, man, when you're trying to knock off a Baylor and Gonzaga, that's what you have to look for when you're trying to find a college basketball title feature at this point where we know Gonzaga and Baylor are pretty much unbeatable.
1: Exactly, and listen—you're not going to get the value, obviously, that we got with Alabama. But looking at the odds, they're still twenty to one. I mean, look at it this way: Kansas is twenty-five to one, and they absolutely stink. So <laughs> like, when you're thinking about value... any stronger like, words than stink I mean, or just stink. I mean, just absolutely—they're—they're—they're they're, they're hard to watch. Stink, you know. So that's all you got for me: hard to watch. Stink. Well, what do you want me to say? I mean, they fucking st- terrible. We can swear. <laughs> I mean, they stink. You know, what? I'm not. I'm not a big swearer on the air. Okay, they suck. <laughs> How about that? They suck. the worse. <laughs> Kansas sucks. So the you know the, the I just so when you're looking at the value here, like and again. I've been talking about Virginia a little bit. I know some people like them. I don't see them as a serious contender. They're sitting at 20 to 1. Kansas is 25 to 1. Creighton, who has whatever le- is less than zero chance to win the national title, is 23 to 1. So Alabama sitting at 20 to 1, to me, you still can get value with them.
0: Right. And the other factor to bring up is they don't have Jordan Bruner back yet. And he's coming back right before the SEC tournament or maybe a little bit into it. I would expect him back before that that adds a stretch big. Everybody on this team can shoot threes. That's the other thing. We're not just talking about a high-variance team where they run a four-out one in offense like Kansas runs, even though, like Tom says, they suck. You won't go further than that. But they do suck. When you have uh, Javon Quinterly, who comes off the bench, a Villanova transfer, Herb Jones, probably the SEC player of the year. I really hope we don't get an SEC tournament, or at least Alabama decides to rest him, even though it might cost us maybe – a. Maybe uh, a two-seed versus a three-seed if Jones was to sit out the SEC tournament. He doesn't look super healthy right now. It's something with his leg. I think he could benefit from some time off. And we were going to see that with Seton Hall last year if the Big East tournament and if the NCAA tournament was played with Quincy McKnight and Miles Powell. They were both dealing with knee tendinitis. Maybe it's something similar to Herb Jones. I'm not sure. But back to my original point, Jones can shoot threes and create off the dribble. Same thing with Shackelford, Petty, and... Joshua Primo might be the most underrated aspect of this team. That guy has grown a ton offensively, and he can stretch the floor. And then we saw, even though uh, Alabama lost that game over the weekend to uh, to Oklahoma, Keon Ellis came up big down the stretch. So they have a lot of depth And then I mentioned Bruner, too. I mean, Bruner just adds a huge component to this team, which is defensive rebounding, which Alabama sorely missed against Oklahoma over the weekend.
1: And to me, like using the FanDuel odds, if you said give, what teams have the most value right now, I would say Alabama at twenty to one and Florida State at twenty three to one. To me, those two teams stand out as one of the few teams that can make a run and beat those big two, and you're still getting them at a pretty decent price. So those would be the two teams if I was going to go in right now. I would go Alabama or Florida State.
0: I want to throw a curveball at you here? What about Houston?
1: Yes, Houston was that. That would actually third on my list when I was just look, looking at odds earlier today. You know, I like Texas at 14 to 1, but Houston at 20 to 1, if you're looking for kind of a wild card here, they have the type of team when the tournament gets going that can cause a lot of problems if they get the right matchup. So I don't hate Houston at 20 to 1 either. I'll be honest. I'm not big on, I don't. I know people love Chris Beard. I think you made a great point to me a couple weeks ago. This isn't your typical Texas Tech defense. Um, They don't suffocate people like they used to. I'm not sold on Texas Tech as being a serious title contender this year. I don't know what it is. There's just something about them I don't like this year. I'd rather go Houston at 20 to 1.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And gang rebounding, man, is such a, it's one of my favorite words when we talk about basketball. Houston has the highest offensive rebounding rate in the country. And they're like middle tier in average height on Kempom, like length. This is not like an elite team in terms of height. I mean, elite isn't the right word. This isn't a massive team size wise, but they're a damn good offensive rebounding team. And they've been that since Houston's made this run with the Rob Grays of the world going back three, four years ago. Like what they could do on the offensive glass, and they lost. One of their bigs, Fabian White, committed to this season with the 20 ACL. Um, Justin Gorham has become one of the best offensive rebounders I've ever seen play college basketball. And if you haven't watched Houston yet, they also have a Kansas transfer going back to a couple years ago in Quentin Grimes. He reminds me a lot of Darren Williams, and that was his comp when he first started playing with Devon Dotson, and they lost to that Auburn team when Auburn made the Final Four two years ago. This is a very good Houston team, and Houston's sitting a little bit lower in other books that's probably a future if I was to add right now and I'm not looking lower on the odds board. See, but that's the question, man, because I know I keep maybe contradicting myself here a little bit, but elite offensively, right? Elite at least on the offensive glass to create like a great second chance opportunities. But if you get in a high pace game with a lot of possessions against a Gonzaga, or if Baylor's scoring at an elite pace, even though Houston actually has the number one adjusted defensive efficiency on Kempom, how do you match up with a Gonzaga with this sort of an offense where you play at such a slow tempo and if they're scoring out of the out of the gym, like how are you matching up? That's the that's my question with Houston.
1: Well, yeah, a couple things here. One uh, Grimes is one of my favorite players and I think you might have just we might have just talked myself into betting Houston when I get off this show so see that's that's why you listen to the show I mean we get good information now I'm gonna bet Houston. Um, but I like the point you just made in the opposite way. If you you know my theory on the run and gun type of style. When Iowa played Gonzaga, that was my biggest bet of the year. Because if you're going to play Gonzaga style, you're going to lose. They got Their bigs are too quick. They get down the floor. They're going to play that game all day with you. To me, the team that beats Gonzaga is going to be a Baylor who can kind of shut them down defensively or a team that can slow the pace and they can't get into the transition, and maybe they're not making all their shots. They get frustrated. They've been in a lot of blowouts. So that's another reason why I kind of like that Houston play. Uh, I, I really like this. I'm going to see what number I can get.
0: All right, so Houston, worth a look for Tom. It's it's a consideration for me. I have four futures right now. Uh, Boise State just going from uh, highest to lowest here. Boise State got them at um over the offseason before the college basketball season was underway. Uh, Rutgers at 90 to 1, Alabama at 90 to 1, and then West Virginia at 20 to 1 before the Gonzaga game. I liked them a lot more with Sheaway on the roster. I'm not advising anybody to take West Virginia. They're kind of a high variance team in a negative way. They rely a ton on the three point shooting. They relied a ton on Miles McBride. I don't know if they have enough to make a run, but that's the kind of guy that if McBride carries West Virginia like he did in that Texas Tech game uh, about a week and a half ago, West Virginia could have the roster to make a run if McBride plays like a like a national player of the year candidate in March. That's what's gonna to have to happen for Bob Huggins crew. All right man, so let's go lower on the or higher on the title features last year because I want to look at three teams really quick before we wrap this thing up. Missouri at 75 to one, Loyola Chicago at eighty to one, or Boise State, who I mentioned I got before the season was underway at eighty to one as well. Those three teams, if you had to pick one team to take a future on which one would it be?
1: Well, I did pick one and it was Missouri at 80 to one. So that that's the one I have. The thing about Missouri is this. And again, the, picking college basketball futures is a little bit different than other sports because we don't know what the matchups are gonna be throughout the tournament. And it's one and done. The reason I like Missouri Uh, As maybe a sleeper in the tournament is because they have a very experienced team, and they kind of remind me of a poor man's Florida State. They're going to rough you up a little bit, you know. They're not, they're not the the most pleasurable team to play against, right? They play that rough style. So if they can get a couple of nice matchups, I think they can make a run in the tournament. So I did grab Missouri a while ago. Loyola Chicago is interesting to me because we've spent all year, you know, ball washing Drake. Talking about how Drake Drake, Drake is <laughs> there. Right? It is. That's what I was looking for. Ball washing. You can't give me that with fucking chances. Ball washing Drake. And right now, Ken Palm has Loyola number thirteen. This you know. This team has really, cut. I'll tell you right now, Missouri State's a pretty good team, and they made them look like a high school squad two games in a row. Two games in a row, they destroyed them. So, interesting thing about Loyola, too, is on back-to-backs, they're 5-0 and this year on the second leg, and they've pretty much blown everybody out on those games. Just something to keep in mind, because they do have Drake twice, February 13th and 14th. But that's the mid-major other than the one you have, Boise State, which I think is another one that could do it. The way Loyola Chicago plays defense, number five yes. in Ken Palm. I mean, this team is some uh, number eight in effective field goal percentage. There's a lot of things to like about a team that nobody's been talking about. And I think they're going to surprise a lot of people if they get in the tournament.
0: Dude, this is a better Ramblers team than what we saw a few years ago when they made the Final Four, and I covered that team. Cam Crutwig has developed into one of the best bigs in college basketball, and I think you mentioned this to me yesterday when we were talking before the podcast. Loyola Chicago, besides their Indiana State loss in conference play, they have losses to Wisconsin and Richmond in non-conference. That's it. So Porter Moser is one of the more underrated coaches in college basketball. You mentioned defense. I will say like Loyola Chicago is 13th on Kempombe. Ken overvalues defense a little bit too much for my liking. And Royal Chicago, outside the top 40 in adjusted offensive efficiency, but you have some really good defensive players on this team. Lucas Williamson is also one of those guys that is really underrated from a two way standpoint on both sides of the ball. So I, I like Royal Chicago. I wouldn't bet a future on him. I like Missouri-ish, but my two issues with Missouri are inconsistent three-point yep. shooting and the fourth-highest turnover rate in conference play. Yeah, that's uh, and that's why they're 80-1, because,
1: uh, you know, the, right. they, they they shoot it good from inside the arc, but if you're going to have to rely on Missouri to hit those uh, three-pointers, it's going to be a, a rough day. So that's what I meant about the matchups. If they can get into some of those low-scoring, you know, grind-it-out games, I like them, but you're right. If they have to come from behind, they're, they're out.
0: The one that I do like there is Boise State at 80-1. to one. I know it's a much lower number than what I got, but you think about, like, people might say, okay, well, Boise State's overrated because of what they played in conference play so far and in non-conference play. Their lone non-conference loss is at Houston when Emmanuel Acott didn't play, and he's been kind of inconsistent in conference play, but still a contributor for Leon Rice's team right now, and Derek Alston did hit a shot in that game. He was dealing with knee issues in that game, too. Boise State shot 1-16 from 3, 15-26, from the free throw line, and they're a 74.5% free throw shooting team overall this season. So it's not like they're below average from the from the free throw line. They could have won that game outright against a Houston team that we were just talking about that Tom wants to buy a future on now. So offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding rate, they're number one in defensive rebounding rate in Mount uh, West play. They're the third highest offensive rebounding rate. They don't turn the ball over. And for a team to make a run, I didn't like that Nevada team a lot with Eric Musselman and with Jordan Caroline. Um, I think it was the Mark Twins. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom. But this Boise State team has a ton of high-level players with Alston, who's going to be a pro. Abu Kijab from... Oregon, a transfer from Oregon. Marcus Shaver, Portland State, not a high major school, but could still really stretch the floor. Emmanuel Aycott and Dautry, both Arizona transfers. Ray J. Dennis, not a transfer, but a really good uh, underrated point guard for this Boise State team in the Mountain West. And Armish, a uh, transfer from East Tennessee State. I like this Boise team a lot. They have Final Four potential. So, again, we think about a team with high variance. They play at a high tempo, and they can keep pace with some of the upper echelon, high major teams in college basketball.
1: No, no doubt about it. I mean, like you said, their one big loss was to, you know, that team I love, Houston, who I have a future on, um, as of 10 seconds ago. But the, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take a look at the other. Are you ball-washing Houston, Tom? <laughs> yeah, now I'm ball-washing Houston. Um, but I, I know a lot of people don't do this, but it's something I do as a capper, so I'll just mention it. I tossed out their loss to Colorado State. And the reason I did is because I watched the game, and they didn't show up from the from the jump on that game and then you're playing an altitude
0: came in khaki
1: yeah they just were not there mentally or anything for that game so you know I took Boise State on the back you know coming back on Friday because I thought they would win that game but so I'm not going to penalize them Colorado State's a good team anyway but it was one of those games man they just didn't show up so you're looking at their two losses you know one was the first game of the year Or you said they couldn't make, I'm not going to penalize them for not making a shot in the first game of the year against a really good team. And the other one was they kind of didn't show up mentally. They've blown out everybody else. To your point, they have three players who can really put the ball in the bucket. And if you're going to be a back of the pack team that's going to make a run, that's what you need. You need guys who can light it up during the tournament, people not too many people know about. I think this is the team. Uh, you, had them, uh, you had them a long time ago, whatever it was. West, March. 10,000 to one or whatever you got them at. But I agree. I still think they're a buy at their current number. That's the one mid-major team, you know, outside of the Zags who, whatever. But the, they can come from that back of the pack and make a run in the tournament.
0: And one last thing, I think the Mountain West gets two, three teams in the dance. So Boise State, Utah State, Colorado State, San Diego State, all up for grabs. But Boise State coming out that Colorado State – uh, coming off the win at Colorado State is a very impressive resume win for this team. So I think Boise State will get in, no matter how many teams make it from this conference. And I think those odds are still pretty valuable at eighty to one. Don't put a ton on it. Like I didn't put no. a ton on it. Five hundred to one. It's still a worth a shot. Right, worth a shot for a team that has Final Four potential. Okay.
1: Before we leave, can I get your opinion on a team that I have absolutely no? Strong opinion on, Um, and I see him sitting there at fifty to one. What do you think about UCLA as a serious contender? You're out on him. I'm out.
0: The loss of Chris Smith. Like, New Roots, that kind of a versatile player, has NBA potential too. I know they still have Cody Riley in the front court, but that's sort of a loss. Like, that's what you need to make a run. And they're also, like, we talk about this with Iowa. Iowa's like bottom 100 or not bottom 100. They're just outside around the top 100 in college basketball and Kent Bomb's adjusted defensive efficiency. UCLA is 80th. So I know they're 15th in adjusted O, but they're not good defensively.
1: Okay, yeah, I just, I don't really have an opinion on them. I haven't really seen them a lot, so I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, on them as a future, because, you know, they're behind Duke, and uh, Duke might not even make the stinking tournament, so <laughs> who knows? There
0: it is again, stinking tournament <laughs> from Tom Casale, at the Tom Casale on Twitter. Myself, at Eli Herskovich. You can follow BetQL, at Beck app, and Tom, if you want to let all of our audience know what's come, what's going on at BeckQL and how they can get involved.
1: Yeah, we have everything at the bet. Go to BetQL. Go to, go to the Twitter account. We have everything you need for the Super Bowl, college basketball, whether you want picks, whether you want information, whether you want odds makers' opinions. We cover it all there. So make sure you go to BetQL.co. Go to BetQL app on Twitter. Follow us for everything.
0: And you can download the BetQL app for free in the Apple App Store or Google Play. BetQL's algorithms analyze over 350,000 unique bets every year in real time to help you get an edge over the sportsbooks. And BetQL also tells you, like Thomas mentioned, which side professional bettors are picking. And it provides real-time line movement and historical betting results. So, Tom, for a tease for the audience, which team will we be ball-washing on Saturday? (sighs) <sighs> Which
1: team will be ball-washing on Saturday? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I really don't. Saturdays are a tough card. Um, I, I guess it'll be Houston. That's my new ball-washing. <laughs> I'm all in on Houston. Uh, but, uh, you know, the uh, Saturday's always a tougher card. The, but I can tell you this. One team I will be ball-washing, whether you want to hear about it or not, is the Bucknell Bison. I only hope my Bucknell visor comes in in time for the show.
0: There it is. Patriot League Lightning round on a, on, a, on a Tuesday instead of a Saturday. I appreciate it, Tom. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at the Casali. Myself at Eli Iscovich. This has been another edition of the Beck QLU Podcast.